A reading from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men, He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Ever. Nothing has been added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So far our reading. Thank you, Patrick. It's a bit of a grim sounding end to the chapter, but uh, there is good stuff in here and good news as well, uh, not just that pessimistic take on life. Uh, and so stay tuned as we open this passage up together. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the band Pink Floyd. Um, you should be too, because they are a great band. Uh, and they are a great band particularly to listen to during Ecclesiastes, because I think uh, Pink Floyd and the teacher would have gotten along very well. They seem to have uh, a very similar take on life, uh, particularly their album uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And it's got on a great song uh, by the title, Time. Um, if you know the song, it probably has already come to mind. Uh, this is how some of the lyrics go. It's an absolute masterpiece. This is what it says. I'm not going to sing it, sorry. Uh, you are young and life is long. And there is time to kill today. And then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, 
and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. That kind of captures the chapter, doesn't it? It kind of not only captures the chapter, but it captures how we feel about the chapter's topic, about time. It feels like we're fighting time. It feels like we're racing time. Uh, it never feels like there's enough time. It feels like we're subject to time, uh, a slave to the clock. You know, everything in our life is ruled by time, and it's not a very good rule sometimes. And so the question is then, well, how do we escape? Is there an escape from the tyranny of time? Uh, is there a way in which we can be free from, you know, its relentless and merciless clutches? To, to, to somehow not feel the pressure and the anxiety and the stress that we seem to constantly live under because of time. Is it possible to actually enjoy the times or to have peace with time itself? Well, the teacher says, yes. Yes, it is possible. And he wants today to show us how that is. And so we're going to see that as we open up this passage together. Uh, the passage starts with that very famous poem, uh, a very beautiful poem. Um, it, was, it was The Birds with Pete Seeger who put it to music. Uh, you might recall the song Turn, 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 if you're old. Uh, and, and no wonder. Uh, it's, it's great. It's great poetry. Let me just read uh, through that again. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. And so it goes. I won't read the whole poem because the key word in this is not the repetition, it's not the different times that the teacher names. The key word is the word right at the start there, the word season. There is a season for these things, he tells us. And, and that word means uh, an appointed time. Um, Einstein once said, allegedly, the only reason for time is so that everything doesn't happen at once, which is kind of a strange take on the topic. But actually, the teacher agrees. He says time exists because there are times for things. There are seasons for all things, a place where they ought to be. You know, now in, in our world, it's autumn, soon it will be winter. Uh, the seasons of weather roll on. The teacher says, so too do the seasons of life. There is a time for everything. There is a season for everything. And they are confined to their season. There is a season of birth. There is a season of death. There is a season of killing. There is a season of healing. There is a season of mourning. There is a season of dancing. And, and of course, he's saying, and everything in between those things as well. Each of them has their place in life. Each has their time in life. And each is limited to their time and to their season. Good things and bad things, hard things or pleasant things, each of them has their appointed time. And just as the years roll through their seasons, so our lives will roll through these seasons of life and move from one to the other. Pleasant and painful, each of them has their time. That is what life is like, the teacher says. Uh, there's an old fable uh, about a king, a wise king. And the king uh, said to his counsellors, I want you guys to give me a gift, something that will make me sad when I'm happy, 
and something that will make me happy when I'm sad, something that will always be true. Uh, they went away and thought about it. They thought about it for a while because it's a pretty big ask. But eventually they came back to him and they presented him with a ring and on the ring was inscribed, this too shall pass away. Something to make you sad when you're happy. Something to make you happy when you're sad. And that's what the teacher says about life. This too shall pass away. The seasons of life will roll on and on. Each will come in its appointed time. Each will pass in its appointed time. That's not a good thing or a bad thing. It is just a thing. Because that's what life is like. Life is seasonal. Things come and things go. We move from stage to stage as we move through life. And the teacher wants to remind us of this so that we know this and don't try to live apart from this. Because the teacher knows we can try to resist this, this seasonality of life, but resisting it is hard and resisting it is stressful. Um, like when we were planting our garden, I was told the best season to plant a lawn is in spring or autumn. You know, you, you plant your grass seeds then because it's not too hot, it's not too dry, you can keep the water up uh, and it's got the best chance of growing. That doesn't mean you can't plant a lawn out of season. It simply means it's just harder. You can plant a lawn in summer, but you have to work a lot harder to do it and you're not uh, guaranteed of success as you might be in other seasons. And so too in the seasons of life. Rather than fight against them or resist them or resent them, the teacher says recognise them and live with them. Living well means not resisting them or resenting them, but knowing them. You know, we often find ourselves, it doesn't matter what the season of life is almost, we, we, we're constantly looking to the next season or to the next time. And I, you know, I can't wait till our kids grow up and we can do this or I can't wait till the kids move out and we can do that or I can't wait till we have kids and we can do this. You know, we, we're constantly looking to that next season. But the teacher says, no. Recognise the season you're in and live it. Recognise seasons come and go in their own time. And that's both very humbling and very enabling. It's humbling in good times because we're reminded that those good times are in themselves a season. Yes, it's nice, it's comfortable and it's good in that season, but it will pass. It won't last forever. That's why we say, you know, make, make hay while the sun shines because we recognise that it won't always shine. And therefore, it's enabling too, knowing this, especially in hard times, especially when times are difficult or painful, because we can recognise this too is simply a season. This too has its place, and this too will pass. It's also tough and painful, and in the moment, it feels like it lasts forever, but it won't. This too shall pass away. The teacher says everything under the sun has its appointed time. It will come in its appointed time and it will go in its appointed time. That's the world we live in. Not to try to resist it, but rather to accept the times that we have and live in them. But that asks the question then, well, how can we discern the seasons of life? And how can we 
know uh, what's next? Or how can we prepare for what's next and what might come? I mean, we, we want to be prepared, don't we? We want to live well in this time. But it's here where the teacher comes back with his pessimism. Life is seasonal, uh, so he says, what gain is there from our toil, therefore? Because, because here's the frustration. If the seasons of life roll on, if they just continue passing, how can we possibly live well in them? How can we possibly work well in them, not knowing what's coming next? We see that in verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the heart, human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, there is, there is a frustration here. Uh, things are beautiful in their time. That is in their right season or in their right place. You know, uh, when, the, when, when your kid does a, a lovely picture, it is beautiful when it's on a piece of paper on the kitchen table. The same picture is not beautiful when it's on the wall in the bedroom. <laughs> it's beautiful in its place. It's beautiful in its time. And, and, and we sense that. And we sense that because God has put it in our hearts to know these things of our world, to know that beauty in time and place. Um, God has put a sense of time in us. That's, that's how we should understand this word eternity. We, we have this, you know, he's set eternity in the human heart. Um, that's not so much as saying that, you know, a sense that there's life after death or eternity in that sense. What he's saying is, it's a sense of a being part of a greater timeline. We have a memory of things that are past. We have a concern about things in the future. We understand that time is long. See, I mean, you never, you never see a dog, you know, fretting about what happened to its ancestors. <laughs> Uh, you never see them worrying about what will happen to its grandchildren. But you do say that, see that in humans, don't you? We, we have this sense of time and we have that because God has given that to us. It's a gift. But it's a frustrating gift. <laughs> things are beautiful in their right time. We have a sense of the timeliness of things. But the teacher says, no one can fathom <laughs> how that time works. There's no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That is, we know there's a bigger plan. We can sense there's a bigger sense of time, but we can't know what it is. We can't grasp that plan that God is working, that timeline of history that he is shaping all around us. So how do we cope with that frustration? We know there's a bigger plan. We know it's a beautiful plan, but we can't discern it. What on earth do we do? He says it there in verse 12. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. There was the, um, the, the high school English classic when I was at school, Dead Poet Society, you know, Robin Williams, Carpe Diem, seize, seize the day. Uh, go and watch it later if you like. Uh, that's... That's essentially the teacher's motto. Carpe diem, seize the day. God has a bigger plan. It's a beautiful plan. We can't work it out. So what do we do? Grab hold of life and live it. Be happy and do good. Find enjoyment in food and drink. Find satisfaction in work. You can't know the bigger plan, so don't worry about it. Instead, just live. But how? 
Because isn't it just that little bit disturbing to live well when we don't know actually where we're going, <laughs> when we don't know where this whole thing is ending up? How, how can we possibly live at peace in that? Well, the teacher understands that. He's wrestled with it and he goes on to say it. Look at verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. It's, it's a little dense, but the teacher's point is, is reasonably straightforward. He simply says, God knows. God's in charge. You and I, we can't see that bigger picture, but God can. And not only can he see that bigger picture, he's shaping it, he's directing it, and no one can change that. No one can add to his plan. Uh, no one can take from his plan. It can't be tampered with. It can't be derailed. All of it is his. So trust him and live well, the teacher says. Now, as Katie pointed out, the teacher said that not knowing what that plan looked like or having a very limited understanding of how that plan worked. But we have far more than what he did. We have far more than his under-the-sun survey. We have far better than what he had. Because God has given us a greater understanding, a greater insight into what his plan is and how he's unfolding it. We, we see a great snapshot of that uh, in the book of Ephesians, right at the start. Chapter 1, verse 8, this is what it says. With all wisdom and understanding, he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Uh, here, that Paul, the writer, says, here is a snapshot of what God is working to. Here's a snapshot of his big throughout time plan. He says the world is disordered, the world is frustrated. It's, it's broken and it's twisted, it is pain-filled, it is futile, meaningless, as the teacher says. But God's not leaving it in that place. His plan comes about in Jesus and his plan is to bring fulfilment to all those things. To bring unity to all those things, he says. That is, to restore them and to reorder them and to straighten out what's crooked to to heal what is broken to fix and to mend he says god is working to that end god is uh, acting and directing slowly and subtly but irresistibly in jesus all things to that end of restoration and renewal and as if that weren't enough paul says he makes us part of that he chooses people who, by faith, that is believing and trusting him, are included in that plan, who are wrapped up in that great purpose, who become part of that, that healing and restoring and renewing in Jesus. So the Bible has a name for that brokenness, uh, for, for the, that disorder that we see in the world, uh, and it calls it sin, or the results of sin. And as we celebrated in the Lord's Supper... Jesus, in his death and resurrection, forgives that sin. That is, he, he bears it, he deals with it, and he takes it away. Thereby enabling people to take part in God's big plan for 
forever. Knowing that plan helps us to live well now. See, knowing that there is a trajectory to time, knowing that God is directing it and that it is good, that it's beautiful, helps us. Yes, we don't know the specifics. We don't know how God is going to work that out each and every day. We, we don't know how these seasons of life are going to fit into that plan and be part of that plan. But we can trust that wherever the journey goes, the destination is good. The destination is beautiful and worth it. And that helps us to live as the teacher's instructing. This, this true carpe diem, you know, not a, not a selfish grabbing hold of whatever I can to make my life as good as possible, but, but seizing the day, grabbing hold of life as God has given to it and, and, and living it, living it joyfully and living it fully and well, unencumbered by worry about other things, about the bigger picture, but confident in what will be. See, sometimes I think we find ourselves uh, so worried about that, that bigger picture and that bigger trajectory of life uh, that we end up paralysed in our day-to-day living. You know, we, we say to ourselves, oh, I, don't, I don't know if it's the right time to do this or uh, I'm just worried that if we do this, um, then this might happen or it might affect this in some way whatsoever. So we, we end up so worried about what might be that it actually prevents us from living. We live anxiously. We don't even live at all. We just we sit there frozen in place. Uh, Dr. Zeus has it in I, you know, the, uh, the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. It's a classic. Uh, he calls it the waiting place. Here's how he describes it. Uh, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place, the waiting place, for people just waiting waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes and or no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for wind to fly a kite or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance Everyone is just waiting. It's where we can end up, isn't it? Waiting for something. Waiting for an indication or a direction or a chance or an opportunity or for something. You know, that will give us a hint of what's to come or a hint of the bigger picture so that we feel like we can act confidently. And the teacher says, no, that's not how we're to live because we can be confident regardless. Don't fear, but live. The seasons will come and they will go. God simply says, trust that I'm in control of that. Trust that nothing you do can stuff that up. And simply live. He says, if you trust me, I'll bring you to that good end. So enjoy the life he's giving you now. Enjoy what's before you. Be happy in the opportunities, in the, the places he puts you, in whatever he gives you. Uh, don't don't uh, let longing for better or for different or for the next times uh, ruin where you are now. Don't let time itself ruin you or rule you. But know that God, our good God, rules it and live it. 
Now, of course, that's still hard. Uh, and the teacher knows that difficulty. We can see him wrestling with it in the next few verses. He, he looks at the world and, and he sees issues there. Look at verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. He says, okay, well, that's all well and good. I, I want to live well, but look how the world is. You know, where things are, are sent to be made right, where things are supposed to be done well, the, the, the world there is wicked and it's cruel and it's, it's, it's unjust. Is it, how do we deal with that? How, how are we supposed to live well in a world that's like that? Well, he finds an answer. He says in verse 17, I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. There's two answers here that the teacher comes to. First of all, he says, time is ending. There is an end point to time itself. A day when an account will be made, a day when all things are called to that account and God will judge righteously and rightly. It's like as it says in the book of Hebrews, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. He says, yes, there is injustice in this world, but none of it will escape judgment. An account will be made. Don't despair at what you can't change or what injustices you can't correct. Know that God will serve justice in the end. And so he says, secondly, therefore accept your place. There will be futility in this world and frustration and meaninglessness right until the day that God brings an end to it all. And in fact, it's God's intention that that should stay in the world until that day. He does it, as the teacher says, to test us. That is, uh, to prove to us or to reveal to us what we really are. And that is limited. He uses a very unfavorable uh, comparison by saying we're no different to the animals. Like them, we live and we breathe and we die, and from a human point of view, who can say what happens next? Are we really that different? He says, you are just as limited as they. And so understand your finiteness, understand your limitations, and know you will always be a limited being. There are things you can do, there are things you can know, and there are many things you can't do and can't know. You are bound to and you are limited by time. Now that is hugely frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> All of us in some ways wrestle with this and, and fight against it in some point because we don't like being limited. <laughs> we don't like being limited in any way, let alone in this, in such a serious and significant way. We, we, we rage against this, um, 
Dylan Thomas, uh, an American poet from last century, uh, he wrote this terribly evocative poem about death. And just listen to what he said. He says, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. He said, Don't accept those limitations. Don't, don't meekly go into that, he says. Instead, fight it. Don't, don't accept it, but, but rage against it. But here's the thing. Fighting against that simply makes it worse. You don't know what it's like. You know, you get dumped by a wave when you're in the ocean. Actually, uh, you know, the instinct is to you know, flail around and to, to fight your way, try and claw your way back up to the surface. That's actually the very worst thing you can do. <laughs> Uh, you use up all your air, you often swim the wrong way, you panic and make it harder. The best thing to do is to actually accept it and then you'll float the, to the surface the fastest. And that's what the teacher says here. Instead of raging against your limitations, instead of resisting them, accept them. It's not a path of, path of cowardice. I mean, after all, who's, who's the coward? The, the one who rails against what they can't change or the one who accepts them quietly? Don't rage against these limitations. Know them and accept them. And instead of resisting them, verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy the, than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Rather than fighting your limitations, rather than fighting the inevitability of time, find joy in where you are. Enjoy what God's given now. Enjoy the journey as he's given it to you here. Know it as his gift. Uh, we, we say it, don't we? Age, age gracefully. Actually, just live gracefully. <laughs> just live gracefully. Not, not fighting against this. Not grasping at things that are beyond our control or our knowledge. But accepting them. Accepting our limitations. We are limited in knowledge. We're limited in power and ability. There are things you can change. There are things you can't. And accept that. So live well in that. Don't be mastered by time. That is, don't let it rule you. For it will dominate. You can't escape its rhythms. You can't know everything that's to come. You can't resist it. And trying to is meaningless and exhausting and pointless. Rather, know the one who does rule time and trust him. God is the master of time. He is working in it. He is working through it. And so enjoy what he's given now. Trust what he's working towards. And you might be amazed at how little power time wields when you don't give that power to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for your help, that you would help us to graciously accept our place in this world and in this time, that we would graciously accept the limitations that we experience too. Father, you know that it's hard for us uh, we we want to control our life. We want to uh, wrestle it to our submission. Uh, we we restlessly go through life looking at what's next and what's to come, uh, or we find ourselves paralysed 
by time and, and, and fearing the bigger picture. Lord, in this, help us to accept our own limitations and to accept that you have none, that you're almighty, and not only almighty, but good. Help us to accept that you're working out your plan all around us. We know it's a good plan. We've seen that in Jesus. We hear it in what he's taught us. And so we ask that you would help us to trust that and to trust him. That we would be able to enjoy life where you've placed us. That we would be able to live well for you. Working out that trust and relying on you in all things. Help us in this we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.